<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of On a Mother Level. I'm Denise Anitka, your host, and this is episode 101. And we're starting with a thank you for loving the brand new cover art that came out with episode 100. I love it. It feels more me, it feels more professional, and it was made by Mariah over at Wander Design Co. And I love being able to show off her work along with my own. So thank you for all the kind messages about the cover art. This episode is a great one because it's about listening to your gut and about listening to what your body is telling you that maybe your mind hasn't really caught up with yet. It is now December and this is your permission slip. If you are not a mom who wants to do the elf on the shelf, you do not have to do elf on a shelf, okay? I hear all the time moms say, I do this elf thing. It's horrible. I have to move it around. The kids are like, and there's like this sense of obligation that you have to do this elf thing. First of all, there was no elf when we were kids and we all survived. Second of all, I feel like We do things and get stuck in these vibes of doing things that don't actually give anybody any happiness or joy, and they actually, in a way, take away from it. And you won't just give yourself the permission to not do it because you feel like you have to or you're keeping up with your kids' friends or you're afraid of disappointing someone or you're afraid of disappointing yourself that it's if you don't do it, it's because you're a lazy bad mom who doesn't actually care about her kids and Christmas magic. Look, here here I am standing in front of you, in front of this microphone telling you, I am not doing the elf for my kids. And if you do not want to do the elf, you do not have to do the elf for your kids. You don't have to. You just don't have to. Okay? I feel like it's one of those things that's just kind of gotten carried away. And if you're the type of person who loves it and looks forward to changing the elf around, great. Love it. Love that for you. But if you are one of the people who's just all over social media complaining about how you hate it and feel like you have to do it, this is me telling you right now, you do not have to do it. And in fact, you don't have to do anything this time of year that doesn't add to the joy of this season. You just don't have to. I just feel like sometimes Christmas becomes about obligations and instead of being about the things that make it magical. And to that end, when you think about creating magic for your family and creating Christmas traditions, think about it that way. Think about it as traditions, magic, moments, time, rather than stuff. I know that when I make the list of all the things that I hope Santa brings for my kids, 
I always wonder, like, was this enough? Is this enough? Will they have enough? The answer is yes, they have enough. But what they need is tradition. What they need is quality time. And what they need is the slow down specialness that this season can bring. I don't have sometimes the best memories of Christmas as a kid. And so I'm trying to be conscious about the memories I'm creating for my kids during this season. And I hope that what they take away from this season in our house is beautiful decorations. I really love a beautiful tree. I hope they say my mom had the most beautiful tree, even though she wouldn't let me touch it. I hope they'll remember that I made them these beautiful trees. And I hope they remember that we light a fire every night. And sometimes we watch TV, sometimes we play a game, but we light a fire. And that sort of sets the tone, you know, for what this season is all about. Slowing down, watching the fire, watching TV, laughing out loud to Home Alone. My kids laugh so hard watching Home Alone. I saw some noise on Instagram yesterday that that movie's too violent for children. I'm like, (laughs) oh, Home Alone is not violence. It's slapstick. And my kids adore it. They think it's so funny. They don't think these robbers are getting hurt. Hurt equals violence. This is just silliness, nonsense. Let's not get bogged down on that noise during Christmas. So anyway, when you think about moving through this season, think about what actually brings you joy and what actually your kids will remember. Maybe not the stuff, more about the moments, less about the moving around of the elf if it brings you no joy, that sort of thing. Listen to your insides. That's a lesson that I learned from my from my five-year-old this week. He's very, very whiny. You know, I complain about him all the time on here because he does. He whines so much. I thought it was like the four-year-old thing, but it's like moving into the five-year and I'm like, blah, with the whining. So he was flopping around like a fish on the floor because he did not want to get dressed the other day. And he said, Mama, I'm trying to get dressed, but my insides keep telling me to turn back. Now, isn't that the most relatable thing you've ever heard? When you're getting dressed in the morning or getting out of bed or trying to motivate yourself in the morning, aren't your insides screaming at you to turn back? (laughs) Holy smokes, mine sure are. So even though um, I'm not supposed to, I laughed when he said that because it was hilarious. And um, (laughs) this is a sweet five-year-old. His insides are telling him to turn back and not (laughs) get dressed. Well, we did get dressed and we did move on with the day, but that story just cracks me up for the whole rest of the week. So the discussion of listening to your insides is a great way to introduce my guest this week. Her name is Karen Dahlstrom. And Karen is the mother of an 11-year-old boy named Grant, wife to Neil. And, you know, I love talking about a pivot point. And so Karen had a pivot point this year, a moment when she decided to do something different with her career, do something different with her time and the way that she spends it with her family. And I love the way she explains how she came to that decision, the breakthrough moment that came for her in a subway parking lot when she reached out to some girlfriends who she knew would tell her the truth and would get her the help that she was seeking. And Karen also sheds light on the stress 
uh, that was in her life and what it was doing to her body really before her mind even understood that it was the stress that it was doing to her body. So as we move into this season that can be very stressful, um, a reminder from Karen um, to listen to what your body is telling you and to look at what that might mean for your life and your priorities. So here we go with my guest this week, Karen Dahlstrom. You have been married to Neil for 16 years. Is that right? That is correct. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. It doesn't feel like 16 years, but yes, it is. I want to know how you get your husband to participate in photos for social media, because it looks (laughs) like he says yes every time you ask him. I feel like there's a skill and a strategy here. I know. And it's funny because with Halloween, we just had that and I made him dress up in like this ridiculous (laughs) costume. And the first time he put it on, I laughed for like five minutes when he put it on and then he still wore it in public and let me post the picture. (laughs) I feel like it's one of those things since we've been together so long, it's like, I think he just knew what he was getting, even though social media didn't exist in 2001. I think he knew what he was getting that he did. Sure. <laughs> have sure. to be zany sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah. What, when you look back on 16 years, I feel like that's, you know, it's a big deal. Um, you know, when you when you stay together any length of time, but any, anything really stand out to you about that milestone this year? So our fifth, anniversary would have been during the pandemic okay in 2020 and so I think that that was huge because obviously we had been there for three months just home together and it really makes you assess and realize I think like a lot of people have gosh who who am I spending my time with where's my mental energy being spent and we were grateful like with all these challenges like we always were the person that the other wanted to debrief the day or hang out. And so that that's been really fortunate, but yeah, I I don't know what the tip, I feel like I got lucky. I mean, we met, he's older than me and we met when I was in college and he was already working and had his life together, but would, (laughs) would he, he chose me and we've uh, never looked back. So our first date was the day after September 11th. No so kidding. I feel like, so I feel like that was also oddly bonding for us because we had to really decide. Again, there was no smartphones. There's no social media. So it's like we had to call each other and say, do we still want to get together? Like this is obviously something that's, you know, impacted everyone. Right. And so then that day after was when we had our first date. So things got pretty deep and pretty real, I feel like, from the very start. So. No. And that really makes sense. So overall, you guys have been together 20 years, 20 years plus. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm that old. That's the bad thing. (laughs) No, we just hit 10 years this year. And and I think I ask people about marriage more often now because I don't know what I thought it would look like at 10 years, but I feel like I thought it would feel like 10 years and it doesn't. No, not, not even close. And I don't know if that's a sign of feeling like you're in a relationship that is very, uh, secure in many ways or what, but yeah, we're the same way where inside jokes that you have or stuff that happened where you think like we went to Mexico in 2008 and we still talk about that trip to Mexico. And it's like, that was so long ago. 
how are we to the point in life where you blink your eyes and it's been 13 years? So yeah, no kidding. It's it's crazy. (laughs) Well, I was sitting with a friend at lunch yesterday and we both decided that 2020 was an awful year. 2021 has been worse. What do you think? 2021 has been a very transformative year for you, I would Mm -hmm. say. Yes. Yes. And oddly, I think 2021 has flown by. Yeah, absolutely agree. It's, it's the whole thing of the, the days are long, but the months or the years are short. I feel like 2021 is that way because I still find myself occasionally being like, oh yeah, that's so 2020. And it's like, oh gosh, that was like more than a year or almost a year ago. Um, but yes, for me, 2021 has been, um, just a year like none other. I think it was very much shaped by 2020. It was very much shaped by the pandemic and a lot of that reflection that that came along with with being home so much and um, just as responsibilities change and all of that. But I, I made the decision and the biggest decision and change, I guess, in our life was I made my decision to um, leave my full-time job that I had had for, for eight years and um, left a profession that I'd been in for 15 years and uh, really devote more time to, to my family and take on some part-time gigs, take a little break here professionally for a while and um, just slow my life down a little bit. You were in college admissions. That was the role that you were in for 15 years. What did you love about that job? Oh my gosh. I, so I started working in college admissions when I first left college. So it had been just ingrained as part of me for my entire career. Um, And I'm a people person. So I feel like just having people come through the office or communication from students come through the office all day long from people all over the place um, was very special and very cool about the job. And then obviously too, just I think everybody can kind of remember points in their life where they were making a really hard decision. And so then to be somebody who has a level of expertise to say, hey, let me, let me help you with that was really important. I think as things changed over time, the thing that I really started to enjoy was a lot of the work um, in marketing and communication and things like that. Cause again, it drew upon skills that I feel like I've always kind of had, but at the heart of it, it was always about making, helping students make the right choice for their future. And that never gets old. (laughs) Yeah. So what was it that made you think it's time to step back? Yeah. So it's interesting that you asked that question because it really, for me over time was the, the compounding effect of more so pressure and stress related to my job combined with things outside of my job. And I was always, um, you know, I was always someone who was like, oh, but it's all good stress. And, oh, I like being busy and that type of thing. But I think what I was figuring out was, hey, I I loved the heart of what I did and it worked for me really well when it did. But you also hit a point where you have to acknowledge, you know, where am I spending my, my time and my energy during a day? And am I wishing that I was spending my time and energy somewhere else? And, um, for me, it was just time to, to step. I mean, it truly, when I, when I talked to, to my employees, I talked to my team, it was about just taking a break more so than, than. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I don't know about you, but when I was, you know, 
getting out of college and in my twenties, it was like, everything was so career, you know, I wanted this career more than anything. And then you work so hard to fit your career in with your family and you see other people do it really seamlessly. And then at some point you realize that you need to make sure you're making decisions for yourself and what's happening within your four walls. And yeah. that's, you know, all that really matters. But it's an interesting switch because at some point you really do have to decide like, you know, where does my career lie after spending 15 years focusing only on it, you know? And mm -hmm. I think like for a certain set of women, they grow up feeling like your career has so much um, impact on your self-worth. I've always been somebody who's been in even just in school, like I just sort of naturally would step into leadership type roles or I would, you know, you have people who are like, yeah, keep going after it. Or yeah, here's, here's more to do or think about and then that kind of energizes me for a while. But then you realize like, wait a second, am I actually letting the other people aren't doing it to take advantage of me in any way, but in some ways I'm not creating the boundaries that that I need. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of get in over your head and you do feel like, gosh, have I made myself be solely defined by my job as opposed to really looking, you know, introspectively into, I'm, I'm seeing a point I turn 40 this year, next year. And, um, soon, gosh, I'll be working still for a while. Yeah. And, you know, I really want to, wanted to think about, you know, do I see myself doing exactly what I'm doing now? Not that I don't love it. Not that it's not a great place to work or people to work with or cause and mission, but it also the level of stress for whatever reason with other things going on in my life, it just was, it was not working for this chapter of life. And that's the yeah. thing that I had to keep reminding myself is like, you know, I think sometimes people like to plan or think it's this very linear path through life, but you have to be willing to accept in certain moments that you can't handle it all or you can't do it all. And um, that was really hard for me because I'd always been able to, to juggle it or people at least thought they did. People like to think that other people have it really figured out right in their jobs. But so many times I think, especially as women, the more we can talk about the fact that we're all going through those same levels of self-doubt or challenge, like it's been really, I think it's been helpful that I've been able to sort of open up a little bit about some of that professionally yeah. and personally, because it really has sort of gotten conversations uh, started that I think are pretty important. So. Yeah. And there's almost, because I talk to women a lot on this podcast about these pivot points and it seems like there is almost a little lag time between having babies and that pivot point, it's like the baby themselves is not the pivot point. It's like it comes three to four years afterwards for some people where you're like, I was trying to keep my life going the same and have this baby be a part of my life. And then there's that lag time where it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. We can do things differently, but I think, I think there's also that natural adjustment period of like, let's see how long I can keep doing what I was doing with this addition. Yes, I can totally feel that. And for me too, I think, you know, obviously like when you have a really small child that takes a lot of energy and I only have one child. And so it takes a ton of energy, but as they even get older, 
the energy and the level of attention to provide to them really does change. And I think, you know, as I think about my most recent pivot point, which I've pivoted, I feel like I had a quarter life crisis when I was 25, <laughs> I have all sorts of stuff, but, um, you know, my most recent time was really, um, it dawned on me that my son is only going to be under my house for six more years. Like to me, I'm just getting started being a parent and all of a sudden he's in sixth grade and I'm thinking, holy smokes, I don't want to, I don't want to miss it. And, um, you know, not that I wasn't doing a great job or you can't do a great job as you're working, but that's where I always think about like for us and for our family and for this chapter, I really had to sit back and just say like, it's okay that this changes. My energy is needed in a different place and I can grow and develop professionally through some new stuff. And who knows, you know, at the end of six years or two years or three years or whenever I hop back full-time in the workforce, I have all kinds of cool stuff that I've done that I never would have been able to do had I not taken this chance. So, you know, this, it seems like though, that this pivot point was a little bit of a slow roll, you know, it was a little bit of a long time coming. You posted about a moment in the subway parking lot in 2019. And I wondered if you'd be willing to share what happened in that parking lot. Yes. So that was the day. Um, I think people can probably relate to this a little bit where you're just, you know, you're busy and you're working and everything's all over the place. And Um, at the time I was a volunteer with big brothers, big sisters. And so of course, like I'd had a busy morning at work and then I had to go see my little and I had to drive and go see her, which is great. Right. It's all the good stress. And I wanted to go do it. That's like, I missed a meeting and I have all kinds of emails when I came back and oh my goodness. And it just felt like for whatever reason that day trying to be all the places. It just didn't work. So I pulled up in the subway parking lot, got my sandwich because food is important. Got my sandwich, sat in the parking lot. And I decided to just text some of my very best girlfriends. And I said, I need, I need help. I know that some of you have also, you know, considered talking to your doctor or seeking out therapy related to just being anxious and, um, you know, having challenges in your mental health. And what do I do? Do I make, do I make this call? Please encourage, you know, I mean, you're just, you're so grateful to be surrounded by people who um, are willing to take that call and are just willing to text back and say, you're going to feel so much better if you do it. Yeah. And that, so right in that moment, I just called up my doctor's office and, you know, of course it's like, I feel that as a woman, sometimes you'd say, you know, you call up and they're like, hello. And you're like, well, it seems kind of silly, but, and you know, so you do all this rationalization, but then I just said, I'm really having a hard time juggling everything right now. And I just feel like, I feel like I should talk to my doctor about it. And they right away, they got me in the very next day, which again, pre-pandemic, I feel like probably, um, I can't even imagine the, the strain on some of these systems now, but they got me in right away. And my doctor was willing to to talk to me. And it was really the first time that I had, I had sort of opened up a little bit to my husband and obviously to some close friends, but, um, yeah, that day where they said, just make the call was the exactly what I needed to hear, you know, not to say like the whole concept of, I I had never heard of like toxic positivity before, but that's something that I've kind of 
thought about a lot lately, you know, and these weren't friends that said, tomorrow will be better. You got this girl or you're going to be fine. And not there's anything wrong with saying things like that, but I think it's important as women that we all kind of know the difference. You know, what's the subtext? When does somebody need to hear like, this doesn't sound right. I know you only asked about the subway parking lot, but I'll say one other story sort of, you know, fast forward a couple of weeks where, or maybe months where I'd had an opportunity to, to speak to a counselor, had an opportunity to talk to my doctor, all these types of things. And I still remember there was a day in the office where I had one of my close coworkers and I, I hadn't been like completely secretive about all of this, but I wasn't obviously sharing like outwardly of, of all these things I was working through, but I had someone in the office say, Karen, you're back. Oh my God. Like you're, you're back. And it was so weird because here I was thinking, Oh, like nobody has any idea that I'm, I'm, that I'm any more stressed than normal, or they have no idea, you know, that anything's different, but to have someone who I interacted with on a daily basis, she never said, you seem really stressed out and anxious. And that's not your place probably as a coworker, you know, with, yeah. within a professional relationship. But then when things were getting more on the right track to say I was back, I don't know, in many ways, it just provided a lot of encouragement to really stay yeah. that path and that track. So that's another moment that really stood out to me too. Yeah. I wondered if that's something that initially like kind of hurt your feelings, where you're like, man, I thought I was better at hiding this. <laughs> well, I don't know. I didn't necessarily care because I did feel my body felt different. Yeah. Like I was, I was having days when for whatever, like I would just wake up and I could just feel like you could just feel something on your shoulders. You could feel, you know, you can't take a deep breath or your mind, you know, calming your mind and things. And again, it's like, I'm cheerful. I'm energetic. I was coming to work every day. You know, I mean, that's something I think that can be hard too. When you try and put a face behind some of these struggles is this isn't always somebody who is outwardly, um, depressed or anxious, but I felt I was feeling so much better that in some ways to have someone recognize that I was like, Oh, heck yeah, I'm doing a great job. Like I'm feeling, yeah. <laughs> feeling really, I'm feeling pretty darn good, but right. Right. Um, my breakdown moment also involved a parking lot. Um, it was a home goods parking lot and it was also in the year 2019. And and so I don't know what it is about parking lots. Maybe it's like, you realize you've driven somewhere and you don't even remember getting there because you were in your head or upset or what have you. But yeah, in my parking lot moment, I was, you know, newly postpartum and, And like you said, feeling the weight on your shoulders, I felt it in my chest all the time. Like I felt like a bubbling cauldron in my chest where it was just like, what's going to happen today? Can you handle it? What's going to happen today? And it just was always in there bubbling, bubbling, bubbling. And I remember doing the same thing where I'm sitting on the phone with a friend going like, I don't think this is postpartum depression. Like, no, it's probably not that. Like, why would it? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And your friend is just on the other line going like, what does it matter what it's called? Like, maybe just talk to your doctor about it. Like, what, what, like, what if you just asked, you know, it's like, you're sitting there, you know, rationalizing or explaining or, you know, and, and you just need that, that friend on the other end, who's just like, you know, there's no harm in, in looking into it. Exactly. And it can be, there's something about, and I think the thing about the parking lot is you are, you're by yourself too. And because sometimes, especially if your home is chaotic and your work is 
chaotic and something about just being in your car and you don't know where you want to drive next. And I don't mean that in like a really dark, like dark, right. dark spot. Anytime my friend calls me from a, a car, I need to listen very, very closely and provide. provide no, support. I'm going to think about that because I think there's a vulnerability. It's like you're in your own space and yet mm-hmm. like you're surrounded by glass you eventually have to get home, but you like want to make sure that you can get home or, you know, your intention was to go into the home goods and not cry in the parking lot. So like, are you going to still go into the home goods? Are you not like, I don't know, for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, yeah, the parking lot just brings it out of you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, um, in some ways now looking back on it, the feeling of the stress is something that I think was building in me for a really long time. And I didn't really know it's, it's so weird to explain, but I think anybody who's kind of been through it can, can relate to it where, um, I could not breathe deeply. It was just, it was so hard to just sit and concentrate and do that. I don't know. I was struggling because the work that I was doing was very cyclical work. So each year around a certain time of year was the busy time of year. Yeah. And so the way it got described to me later, as I was chatting with a counselor and kind of trying to to sort some of this out was that my body in many ways could anticipate after I'd gone through the same thing for many years, the reason it kept feeling worse every year as part of that cycle was because your body knows exactly what energy it's going to take to get to the finish line. And so- mm-hmm. You know, it's like one year, this was in 2016, I had this really wacky autoimmune response. Okay. That felt like a one-time thing. All right. Well then the following year, I can't remember the exact word from there, but then one year I had like all these gastrointestinal problems. Okay. Then one year I had a panic attack. I had never had a panic attack before. I'm very involved with the American Heart Association. So I Mm -hmm. thought that I was having a heart attack. So I went to the emergency room. Shout out to the emergency room. They did not make me feel silly. They did not tell me, you know, I was silly for being there, but I recognized what was going on after the fact. But, you know, I went to the emergency room and in that moment, it was very scary. It was the first time that that had ever happened to me. And then one year I had awful problems with my blood pressure. And so it just kept happening. Yeah. It didn't, that's when it started not feeling random as well. And so that's when I felt like as I could talk to my doctor, you know, I hate the fact, I guess, that the physical manifestations had to happen before I felt comfortable saying something to someone, but yeah. it felt almost like proof. Like it felt like physical proof beyond just what was going on, maybe invisibly. Stress is really bad for us. Like there's no such thing as good stress. Like stress is stress and long-term yeah. it can, it can do a number on you. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is like, um, this is like the fourth podcast where it's going to come up, but there's that whole notion of the body keeps the score and stress and trauma, especially with something cyclical, like you're describing, mm-hmm. you know, it's like your body already knows like yes. what it's up against, you know? And when, when you, uh, when you think about it that way, it's sort of like, answers a lot of why you feel the way you feel without even actually telling yourself to feel that way. You're not even clued into it, but your body already knows. Yes. It's both eye-opening and kind of cool that your body can do that, but also terrifying that your body can do that for sure. Cause you can't, so. you can't trick it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Without considering, okay, what is that trigger? And are there things that I can do to change that 
that balance around, right. around it. So, yeah. so how did that, how then does the issue of body image fit into all of these years of physical symptoms and things like that? So I feel like, hopefully I'm not the only woman that, that feels like all of these issues kind of intertwine and it's not until I'm older that I feel like all the stars are, are lining a little bit, but, um, I went through a period. So during this whole period where I was sort of describing like some of this stress and me really convincing myself, like, Oh, this is good stress. and this all fine. I was as thin as I've ever been. I mean, if, if thin is what we're going to describe as, you know, what the what ideal, we're told, yeah. What we're told to be, or what will get you a compliment or what you're really shooting for. And, um, you know, so it's, it's interesting to think about because I, you know, even thinking about when I was younger, um, I don't know. And again, I feel like maybe it's just different than, you know, when we were growing up compared to now, you know, just small comments that you're realizing that's like, man, I had people, I remember being at basketball practice in high school and our coach talking about why we needed to run, which was to be less fat. You know, I mean, he literally told us that, you know, I remember, um, you know, people just in your family, like extended family at Christmas, you know, the, it's never like, hello. And well, you hear hello and Merry Christmas, but it's also things about how you look and if they think you look healthy and if they think this and, you know, the the ways your body's changing and stuff (laughs) like that. And I, I don't know if what I was feeling is any different than other women, but I do think it sort of compounds as time, sort of as time goes on. So it just, it was interesting that probably at the time where I was the least healthy, when we we're just kind of thinking about like my blood work and my stress level and my mental health was actually when physically to the world, I was getting the most compliments and interesting um, to the degree that those are related or unrelated, but it definitely really gets you thinking about, gosh, number one as a parent, how am I speaking to my own child about whether it be my own body image or you know, my husband and I talking about what we're making in terms of lifestyle choices, how that impacts our son, but then just even thinking about, you know, my friends or myself. One funny thing is I used to, this is so weird, but I'll tell you this. I used to never be able to wear the same clothes the whole day, which sounds really weird. Like I could go to work, but then if I had something to do after work, I'd always change my clothes. Like there was something about, I always wanted my clothes, like feeling that they're not like wrinkly or stretchy or something like that. Now, I mean, there's little things like that, but now it's like, I don't even think about it. And so it's weird where now I think that I'm less anxious about many things along the way. Okay. So that constant inner dialogue regarding sort of how you look or how you feel is not there. Like you're, I'm more focused on the things that matter the most, like people around me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you posted this summer. It took you to 39 years to wear the bikini. Yes. Yes. The, the high waisted ones are kind of in, right? Yeah. So, um, that, that was helpful, but yeah, this year was also the year where I'm just like, you know what? High five, like to other women, to ourselves. Like, I don't want to be the person at the swimming pool who, is number one, letting my experience be dictated by however I'm feeling about myself or sitting there thinking what someone should or shouldn't look like or wear themselves to. Cause I think we've all been there as women where people like to jump to conclusions. Right. So yeah, I rocked a bikini for the first time this summer. Did it feel good? 
it felt pretty awesome. It felt pretty awesome because I didn't care. I mean, that was the thing. It's like, I, I just sort of felt like it was important to tell the world in case there's other people who are, I don't know if self-conscious is the right word or just letting other people decide, you know, being too influenced by, by someone else. So, yeah, I sort of love, and I'm anxious to see what you think about, you know, heading into your forties, but like being in the thirties, there's, there's such a freedom in, um, being able to decide how you feel about yourself and your path. And I always thought that I would miss my, my twenties and now at, at 37, I would never want to go back to being in my twenties for that exact reason, because now you actually have the, the courage to start defining who you are and how you feel within your own skin. Yes. It's funny that you bring this up because just today, and I, I hope I didn't crush, crush her spirit, but <laughs> I was talking to someone who is in her very early twenties and, um, we were just chatting and I told her, I said, in my life, looking back, probably the time from towards the end of college through about my mid to late twenties was actually probably the hardest in many ways. And I can't yeah. quite pinpoint it. I feel like everyone's kind of trying to find their own path and whether it's you or your friends, you know, everybody's kind of in different places and parts of life. And it's really hard to know, you know, sometimes you're making your own path. Sometimes you're feeling like you need to be on somebody else's path, but I don't know what it is, but the thirties to me, I'm going to miss them. I'm going to miss them a lot. I've absolutely loved my thirties. And I really do. I think some ways too is, um, that friendships, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I do think that friendships become more genuine as you get older as well, A thousand because, you, percent. because you do have to sort of tear down. Like once you start having kids and you know, you're, you're in each other's lives in a different way, that it's no longer about just like going out with your friends when you're in your twenties or looking cute or doing whatever, like it starts getting real. And I think through through that, then it gets manifested yeah. and you just, you feel like you understand other people a little bit more, which again, I love social media as, not, as much as the next guy, but it really does mess with us. I feel like, and I think probably for people who are younger than us, I can't even imagine the impact of seeing the filtered images and, and what that does to. Well, two things. Number one, I have a friend who texted me this morning, her birthday's coming up and she's in her mid thirties and some, you know, like doofy male had, had written on her Facebook, like, Oh, you, you know, you still look 29. And she's like, how dare you think that I want to look 29? Like that is not for you to declare as like my alleged ideal. Like I'm not pining away to look 29, but thank you for your input. Story number two, one of my dearest friends is in her twenties, early twenties. And she tells me about these like toxic friendships she has. And I, I try not to be an old lady to her. Cause I feel like one a lot of the times, but I'm like, one day you will realize these toxic friendships are like just draining on you. And like, she's at that point in her life where she feels like, well, we have been friends, so we should probably remain friends. And I'm like, I can't wait for you to get to the point where you realize like these people are not serving you and right. really you're not serving them. So like, but you can't do that in your twenties, you know? Right. I know it's so, I do think that in some ways you get, you get so much wiser and I don't know when, when that moment is, but 
I just, I'm that same way. I'm like, anybody who will listen to me, if they are struggling in their twenties, I want to talk to them about, about the fact of like, just shore up who you are, what you value, exactly what you were describing, those relationships with other people and just know that getting old is not the worst. I'm sure at some point I'll be getting older and then I'll be like, oh, to be young again. But yeah, yeah, of course. Right now I feel like I'm at a great, a great spot. (laughs) That's a good place to be. Um, So I want to talk to you a little bit about Grant. So you said he's 12. He's getting ready to turn 12. He's He's getting ready to turn 12. Okay. So And I feel like there is no good way to ask this question because there's judgment all the way around, but was it intentional to have an only child? That's like always the question, right? Okay. Um, There's no way to ask it without it being framed in the sense of like, explain yourself to me. (laughs) (laughs) I guess quick background is, so I'm an only child as well. So I at least understood life only child life. So it had never been like completely off the table to Neil and I to only have one child, but we did go through a period where we thought, well, maybe we'll have a second. And I won't go into details on that, but the universe just, it, it didn't work out in the same way it did the first time. Yeah. And you hit a point, you know, as a couple where you realize like, actually probably our relationship is more strained with this stress around, do we have a second child? Do we not? than if we just fully invest ourselves in the person who we feel like really does make our family awesome and complete, which is Grant. And so again, I think it was, I have always been very grateful. It was never anything that made me uncomfortable just because again, I grew up in a very small family, but I was very grateful to have my husband also be supportive and say like, yes, this makes sense for us and our family. So it's, it's actually been really I mean, selfishly as parents, it's really nice to be able to pour our energy into only one child. And, you know, it allows us to start thinking about retirement and and what do we want to do and where do we want to live? And, you know, as Grant grows older and we vacation, like that can change as he gets older and not to make it sound selfish, but that's something that um, I think is just different for our family than maybe larger families. So Yeah, completely. But I imagine though, that, that it does come with a lot of judgments and questions in a way that a family of two doesn't have to explain themselves. And there's really no reason for that, but it's the, it's the reality. Yeah. And I feel like when Grant was younger, it definitely happened more because you can, this might happen to you after your first where you you have a small child and then people just ask you when you're going to have another child. So now as he's older and we're out and about, people aren't like, where are your siblings? Or are you yeah. having other yeah. children? But, you know, it's like anything people you, you just meet on the street, they'll say, you know, do you have any children? And I'll say, you know, I have a son, he's 11. And it always is, oh, just the one, you know, it's the, the just thing. It's like, uh-huh. yep, just, just the one. But um, it really, I mean, for I feel like I, I also kid because my name's also Karen. And so at a time where people are like, what's your name? And I say, Karen, and then they have, <laughs> they have lots of things to say about that right now. I feel like, you know, you get thick skin on things of, of people's just immediate reaction to, to anything. going on. Are you so mad that someone hijacked your name? <laughs> it is getting totally, 
I mean, it's, it's out of control. It's out of control. Um, and it really is like, it's turned into for some times when I do introduce myself to people, I always say my name is Karen, but I'm not a Karen. And so then I feel like we kind of bond over that a little bit, but I don't think many kids now are going to have that name. So I think it's going to be like the, when I'm older, I'll be like the old lady name that, you know, no one of their generation has that name. <laughs> yeah. Yep. My five-year-old was just talking about like his little, his little like boy posse and his little like buddies. And he's like, well, my friends are Grayson, Kaysen, Liam, and Maverick. I'm like, yep. Can I get a Steve? Nope. Yeah. nope. Grayson, Kaysen, <laughs> Liam, and Maverick. Those are not going to have any Karens in there. <laughs> no, no Jennifers. There's no Jennifers. There's no Karens. Like no Lindsay's or Stephanie's. Brittany was one where we had like a lot of Brittany's, Lindsay's. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are all, those are all going to be grandma names pretty soon. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> crazy. Well, okay. So we have less than two months left in 2021. Tonight is a new moon. Do you have any wishes and intentions that you wanted to put into the universe for the rest of 2021. How do you want to end this year to launch yourself into 2022? I've been putting a lot of thought into that for myself. I think the biggest thing for me is just continuing to have, I say boundaries. I don't want to cut other people out or off, but I think just making sure that I'm intentional with how I'm spending my time. And the other big thing for me, I think is just ensuring that I give myself permission to rest. If I want to rest, have a hobby, if I want to do a hobby, enjoy time with my friends, if I want to do that, you know, it really every moment of life doesn't have to be trying to chase something or achieve something. And I feel like through allowing yourself to just connect on a more personal level or human level with people, all that other stuff will, will come. And I just feel like the whole idea of accepting help from other people is also really important. Um, and just recognizing the value that other people play in your life and the value that you could maybe play in someone else's life with simple gestures or just being present for those people. Like there is, there's been a lot of crazy stuff that's happened the last couple of years in all kinds of facets of the world and in our lives and at home and around the world and all sorts of stuff. But so it's just kind of like at the end of the day, my big thing has just been wanting to be me and try and hopefully like connect with people around me. And yeah, no, I feel like what you're saying, not super is... deep, but it's just very like localized. Like I just want to get really close to home, very localized. No, I like the idea of boundaries that protect your peace while also mm-hmm. keeping the door open for, you know, things that you're willing to let in and those things only. And I think, um, I think that there's someone who's listening to this podcast right now who will say, I needed someone to give me the permission to do that for myself. I think it is, I don't think sad's the right word um, because it doesn't make me sad, but um, it just surprises me. I think every time where there are um, women who feel just trapped in many ways, it can be in a lot of different facets of life, but then to, to hear someone say like, 
okay, here's a small step that you might be able to take, or it's okay to let somebody help you out with X, Y, or Z, or it's okay if you have to miss this one thing, or it's okay to not, I was very, have always been very big on to-do lists because I want everything off that list. End yeah. of the day, everything needs to be off that list. 2022, Karen, not so much. I'm a lot better at being like, you know what? I give myself permission. I will get done what I can get done on my list today. Yeah. And whatever I can get done, I will get done. If I don't get it done, it will be at the top of the list tomorrow. That will be the first thing that I get done. So I don't want to make it sound like, oh, you know, you're just kind of flowing through life. But I think that that allows you to just continue to recharge. And, you know, it's it's cliche, the whole thing of like, you can't fill each other's tanks up if you're, what's that? Yeah, if like put on your, put on your oxygen mask before you yeah. can put anybody yeah, else. All those things, <laughs> all those wise sayings that people say, um, it really is true. And, and it definitely does sometimes take that moment of like, to someone in their mind thinking like, yeah, I'm strong enough to do that. Or just knowing like, Hey, what, what's the first step I should take? Like, I can't figure out 50 steps ahead right now, but I feel like something's not working. So what's the first right. thing I can do right now that will help me get where I want to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Karen, this has been such a great conversation. Is there anything that you want to leave um, our listeners with? Is there, um, you know, I don't know if your social media is public or private, if you want to share that. How can people, you know, follow Karen along on her journey if you want them to? Sure. Well, yes, people are, I I probably need to check all my settings on my social media, <laughs> but um, I love social media. And, um, cause I really do, I want to believe in my heart that it is a place where there are positive things and positive connections that can happen. And so that is something that I'm always telling myself, even when I'm trying to sometimes tackle things that feel a little prickly or difficult social media, just Karen Dahlstrom. And, um, I also will get back into my quad city moms blog here fairly soon once yeah. the winter months, um, set in. So, uh, if you follow quad city moms blog, uh, you'll find some things from me and then obviously lots of other local content as well. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Denise. This is like a dream to be on a podcast. I listen to like so many podcasts. So to be on a podcast is just like extremely humbling. So thank you. Well, thank you for being such a willing guest and for being so candid about um, the things you've experienced, because I think, um, I don't know, as I said on our phone call, I truly believe that like everyone just wants to hear how other people are living and just, you know, making decisions. And, you know, in some cases it does, it gives us permission to do the same for ourselves. You know, even though we knew in our heart the whole time, what's best for us, like, I don't know, hearing it come out of the mouth of another woman can be so helpful. Yes. I 110% agree. With that. <laughs> so. You have been listening to the WQAD podcast network. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly blue book, my wallet on auto trader. They're really good at numbers. Auto trader.